Exodus 8, 20 through 32. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you, do not, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this, sh this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, they will, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to, your, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go out go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. We're walking through the book of Exodus. If you're visiting with us, we're chapter 8 there, verse 20. We'll, we'll finish through verse 12 of chapter 9. Uh, this morning, Lord willing. And as I was thinking about these plagues and reading through the book of Exodus this week, I, I began to think about that song that they used to sing on Hee Haw. Uh, if you remember Hee Haw, if you, if you do remember that, um, shows your age. But you know the song, Gloom, Despair, and Agony on Me. Anybody want to sing that for us real quick? Um, yeah, funny. If you don't know what hee-haw, if you're too young, you don't know what hee-haw is. It's a variety show that was on uh, TV on every Saturday in the, I guess, the late 70s through the 80s, I suppose. I'm not sure how long it aired, but um, it was a variety show and uh, quite comical, a lot of country music. But gloom, despair, and agony on me, and he's these four or five um, guys usually there with the, in overalls with a jug that's supposed to be moonshine and they're singing the blues about all that's going wrong in their lives. And um, boy, Pharaoh could have sang that song um, honestly, couldn't he? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. We're in the book of Exodus. The purpose, what's the purpose of the book of Exodus? Think about that. You'll know that by the time we finish. The purpose of the book of Exodus is to show how the Israelites were rescued from Pharaoh so that they could dwell with God once again. And this rescue is going to take place by the hand of God and God alone. God is making himself known in Egypt. We've seen how God has chosen Moses and Aaron to be his instruments by which the Israelites will be rescued. 
But we've also seen Pharaoh harden his heart. He has become obstinate and stubborn toward the Lord. And God is also said to have hardened Pharaoh's heart as well. And, and I may ask, who has a hard heart? Well, we all do. Every person created has a hard heart. When the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that no one seeks God, that's what they're saying. We're all hard-hearted. And by God, just withholding grace and mercy is one way that one can be hardened. But this hardening of Pharaoh's heart is all a part of God's providential plan. This plan to do something that will let Israel and Egypt, including Pharaoh, know that there is one God, the God of Israel. In Joshua 24, verse 5, Joshua is reminding the Israelites of what God has done for them, and he's reviewing their history, and he tells them in verse 5, And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. He, he says, God saying this, I plagued Egypt. Now, you and I might be able to defeat our enemies, and Pharaoh, of course, he had defeated his enemies. I mean, he was the leader of the greatest nation on the planet at that time. He, of course, had defeated enemy nations. But he could not say, I've plagued other nations. Only God can do that, and God did do that to the Egyptians. Think about the judgments we've already studied. Last week, we began the plagues, and we saw first the Nile turning to blood. The life source of the nation was cut off, turned to blood. Then it was frogs, frogs and frogs and more frogs, frogs in the house, frogs in the bed, frogs in the food. The third judgment was gnats. And most of you, if you've been outside much, uh, you've inhaled a gnat. Any of, anybody, anybody not inhaled a gnat in their day? Have they like never experienced that? Anybody not experienced inhaling a gnat? I did that this week. I was in my front yard playing. We had the dogs out, and I, I just... And there it went, right up my nose. Terrible, isn't it? But could you imagine having that experience uh, multiplied times 100 or 1,000? I remember as a child, my, my grandfather, Carl Hartsfield, and my dad and I, we fished a lot on the Mississippi River. He was a commercial fisherman. He had his commercial fisherman's license, and so we would run trot lines, we'd run trammels. And when the water would get up into the, and it'd flood the fields, we would go fishing. And I remember there, down in the bottoms, we would, uh, what used to be a, just a long, you know, miles and miles of gravel road, the road would, would run right into the river. And we would just back our truck right down the gravel road into the water. And for some reason, the water did something. All that flood water did something. It caused these gnats and these flies to be everywhere. And I remember we would be in the truck. We're like, okay, y'all ready? And we would jump out of the truck and, and we would get the boat in uh, the water and then we just take off and get the get the boat going down the water just to get the gnats away from us. And I remember my dad, he always carried a handkerchief. I don't know, do you still do that? He's always he used to carry a handkerchief. And what he did is he he tied that handkerchief around my nose and my mouth so I wouldn't I wouldn't breathe in all those bugs. But it was just it was just insane. And I just I thought about that experience as I was, as we we're studying through this passage, how horrible of experience that would be. But God is doing this. 
He is plaguing the nations. And there's 10 of these plagues, and we've gone through a chronological study the last couple of years with our children, with our students, and with our adults, and, and trying to remember these plagues in order. And you might be saying, well, why would we need to remember these plagues in order? Well, students, what do we say about ignorance? Yeah, ignorance isn't a virtue. Don't think, well, I, I don't have to know that. I don't know that. Don't be proud of not knowing something, right? And I'll say this. You don't need to know the, the plagues in order in order to get to heaven. But everybody, when they stand before Jesus, they're going to know the plagues in order. Okay? So you don't have to know them to get to heaven, but everybody in heaven will know these plagues in order. Think about that for a second. So how do we remember these? There's just mnemonic devices. We do it all the time. We do it with everything else. We can do it with the plagues. You got those? Yeah. This is, we put this together with the students. We're trying to come up with something. If you don't know what Fortnite is, not, not a problem. I've never played it myself, but I know it's a video game. If you don't know what Fortnite is, it's a video game. All right? Uncle Benoit, Fortnite's a video game. That's all you need to know. When Fortnite got faddish, you know, it's a fad, right? Because in a few years, nobody's going to play. Like, people don't play Frogger anymore, right? Nobody plays that. Or Pac-Man. Or Mrs. Pac-Man. Nobody plays Miss Pac-Man because that's just a sissy thing to do. But it's a fad, right? When Fortnite got faddish, Larry became hooked like Don's first cousin. Hunter loves it. Don't you think that's a good mnemonic device? But the first letter of each of those words help us remember water to blood, frogs, gnats. Today we're going to look at flies, the livestock died, the boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the firstborn died. Like I said, it's not a big deal. You don't have to learn these in order. You don't have to memorize them. But ignorance isn't a virtue. And when you get to glory, you're going to know these in order, okay? All right. Um, the first two plagues. Think about the first two plagues that happened. The water to blood, right? The frogs. They were, that miracle, right, was duplicated by the magicians, the sorcerers, the priests of Pharaoh. These priests were empowered by the enemy, right, the dark powers to perform miracles. But by the third plague, their power had dissipated, and they were beginning to see who the real God was. Now look real quickly to chapter 8, verse 18 and 19, just to set the context. We're moving from the third plague. And why are we moving from the third plague to the fourth plague? Because Pharaoh is obstinate. He continues to not let God's people go. And as he's obstinate, he's hard to his heart, and he says, no, I'm going to let the people go, God's going to pour out another plague. So look at verse 18 and 19 of chapter 8. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So here again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And Legan Duncan, he says this about Pharaoh at this time. You know, a blind man can't see by the light of the noonday sun. And Pharaoh, of course, is the blind man. I mean, the, the magician's alarm, right? Their report doesn't phase them. This, is the, this comes by the hand of God. This is God at work. It doesn't move Pharaoh at all. And it only prompts him to harden his heart even more. And it's not that Pharaoh doesn't have enough evidence that God is at work. It's not that he doesn't have enough knowledge. Pharaoh's problem is he has a corrupt, hardened heart. And what happens when you have a stubborn, hard heart is you begin to even deny logic even. I mean, it doesn't make sense to defy this omnipotent God. But yet he does so. 
I mean, think about it. It's like a teenager whose parents tell them, say, look, if you'll be responsible, you do what you're told, make your grades, and, and do what we ask you to do, live under our rules, you can stay in our house, we'll pay for your college. College is a pretty expensive deal. But because teenagers sometimes have hardened hearts, what do they do? No, they want to live by their own set of rules. They want to do what they want to do. So they move out, do what they want to do, and they end up paying for their own college. That makes no sense whatsoever, right? Just like the woman who has a husband who loves her, dotes on her, has children who adore her. She has everything that a, a woman could want, but yet she wants to leave this lifestyle and for another person. You're thinking, how in the world? Why in the world would you ever do that? Because logic makes no sense to a hard-hearted person who's obstinate towards the Lord. So our text this morning, there's two points we're going to make. Um, from the text, number one is that God pours out judgment and mercy. And Chris read the text for us in Exodus chapter 8, the fourth plague, the plague of the flies. Now, in each judgment, it's not just a, a plague and a judgment, and it's not just making life miserable for the Egyptians, but there's something we're learning. It's the plot, it's a it's story, these real-life events, and the plot is thickening. God is doing something with each plague, and so I don't want us to miss that. The Nile, God turned the Nile to blood. What happened? God's uh, uh, act is, is also done by the Egyptian magicians, the priest, and what's the result? Pharaoh hardens his heart. He's not moved, right? He didn't relent. Secondly, the frogs, the second plague. God's judgment was again imitated by the magicians. But we see here, we see some movement. They couldn't remove the frogs. And so what does Pharaoh do? He comes to Moses and says, hey, can you please get rid of these frogs for us? And, and God did so. And Pharaoh said that he would relent if Moses would, would, would ask God to remove the frogs. But guess what? Pharaoh is a liar. He's a dog-faced liar, and he lied. So we see some progression here. Then with the gnats, we see what's the progression. What are we to learn here? The, the magicians, they're inept. They can't duplicate this miracle. So at first, Pharaoh's like, ah, my magician can do the same thing. My magician can do the same thing. My magician can do the same thing. Your God's not so powerful. All of a sudden, the magicians are inept. They can't perform the miracle, and they tell Pharaoh, this is, this is God at work. So as you see the progression of what's taking place here. Don't, don't forget that. This, that's the most important part. It's not just the, the plague, the judgment itself, but what's going on? What is God trying to show us in each plague? So now we're at the fourth plague, the fourth judgment. God's about to pour out on godless Egypt. And what does he do? He makes a distinction between the Egyptians and God's chosen people. Moses is to inform Pharaoh, if you don't let God's, my people go, the flies will swarm. Let me read that again. The Lord told Moses, rise up and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus saith the Lord. Moses is God's spokesperson. It's interesting right here, it's Moses, it's not Aaron. We see Moses, his courage is growing, isn't it? Let my people go that, we may, that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people 
dwell. So no swarms of flies will affect them. And what's the purpose? You remember this, there's three sets of plagues. And the first plague of, of each set, there's a purpose clause given. And look at verse 22. The purpose clause is so that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. That's the purpose, right? But there's a distinction made between Egypt and between Israel. The first three plagues seem to be experienced by everyone, or so it seems. But this is the first time that the people of Israel are exempt. They have immunity, it seems. But what's so interesting about this immunity here, it's unlike the, the show Survivor, some of you are fans of that. There's no challenge. There's nothing the Israelites w could do to earn that. And that's the point here. Why were they spared the swarms of flies? Was it because of anything they had done or anything they didn't do? No. They had immunity in Goshen just because God was merciful, and that's our point. Was it because of their faithfulness? Because, you know, the Israelites, they always obeyed, right? And they never grumbled. No, it's not because of they, their faithfulness, because they're diligent to obey the law, their willingness to please the Lord, their humility. No, of course not. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, right before the Israelites go into the promised land, God is speaking through Moses, his prophet, and he's preaching these sermons reminding the Israelites of their, their past, of how they became God's chosen people, and how they're to conduct themselves when they go into the promised land. And this is the sermon. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. It's not because you're mighty. It's not because you're a big, bad country. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So why was Goshen spared? Why were the Israelites spared from the plagues? Because God promised Abraham that he would become a great nation. And that nation would be given land, the promised land. It wasn't because they were faithful or great in number, but solely because God had chosen to love them and set his affection upon them. They were a people who had nothing to commend them and thus no claim on God's grace. God chose Israel because he chose them. He loved them simply in order to love them. And that's what we call mercy. Israel was recipients of God's mercy and us as the body of Christ because of what Christ done for us, guess what? We are as well. And this distinction between the two nations, the swarms come, the flies come by the hundreds and the thousands in every room. You ever try to cook when there's a swarm of flies? We have horses and we have chickens. We're not homesteading. Really, we're not. But we have just a lot of flies at our house because we have horses out the back door, right? And we have 
chickens and pheasant and animals, you know. But like I go to other people's houses, I don't see so many flies, you know. I think, well, we just like live on a farm almost. We have a lot of flies. In fact, Dad, he gave Seth this little gun. It's like a stopper gun. It's got this thing on it like this big. And you can actually, they always, the flies go to light. So we have some French doors that Jim Swain put in for me a few years ago. And that's where they go. And so you just stand there and just, and it's like a fly swatter, but it's a gun. It's cool. It's awesome. And it works. I used it last night, killing flies, right? But you can imagine these flies, they're just annoying. You have one fly buzzing around when you're trying to eat. Isn't that annoying? I just can't stand it. I got to get up and I, I'm like the assassin. That's what I tell the kids. I'm the assassin. And I'm out just finding the fly because it gets on my nerves. Or you're laying down to sleep. Has it ever happened? You're laying down to sleep and you have one buzzing around. Isn't that crazy? It just, it drives you mad. But can you imagine just hundreds and thousands of flies? Our horses during the day now, they would, you don't see them out in our pasture. If you have horses, you just kind of kind of have this thing where you just kind of check and count them to make sure you have all of them. They're still in the pasture. But you don't see them during the day. They come out and feed at night, graze at night because of the flies. They stay in the dark barn. It just They don't have as many flies on them. Yeah, it's just so annoying. Psalm 78, verse 44 and 45, this psalmist, again, is, is retelling the story and the history of Israel and how they became God's chosen people and what God has done for them. And it says, it, speaking about the plagues, he turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. It's interesting. The, it, it describes the swarms of flies as devouring them. Yeah, just a small little fly, but man, by the, when they're swarming by the thousands, man, what a plague and judgment that was. Charles Spurgeon says, when it pleases God by his judgments to humble men, he is never at a loss for means. He can use lions or lice, famines or flies. In the armory of God, there are weapons of every kind, from the stars in their courses down to the caterpillars in their host. Little bitty flies, but man, what a nuisance. What a judgment that was that he poured out upon Egypt. This distinction is really, really important. Really, really important. Think about also what an encouragement it would be for the Israelites. I mean, they're in bondage. They've been in bondage for 400 years. And God had... Had, had, you, had heard their cries. The Israelites had cried out to the Lord, save us, we're miserable, save us. And so the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron and brought about this, this beginning of this deliverance. But just think about that. They're in Goshen. Maybe they go to the market for something and you see just flies everywhere and people are just miserable. And they go back home to Goshen. It's like, well, there's no flies here. What an encouragement that had to be for them. Letting them know that Help is on the way to make them hopeful. And we're seeing a contrast too, aren't we, in these plagues, in this whole Exodus account. There's a contrast that we're seeing between God and Pharaoh. And that's what it is. It's a, it's a contest, isn't it? Pharaoh, who thought he was God, and all the other idols and false gods in Egypt versus the one true God. And what do we see here? We see a contrast God is just, but he's also merciful. And Pharaoh was neither just nor merciful. 
So God is God of judgment. He's also a God of mercy. And the second thing we see from our text is God keeps his word. We see here in, in chapter 8, verse 25, Pharaoh softens a little, doesn't he? I mean, all these flies, there are swarms of flies. They're just miserable. And so what does he do? He calls Moses and Aaron. He says, hey, uh, okay, you can go. You can go make sacrifices. You can, you can have a little reprieve, but just stay in, stay in Egypt. Don't leave. We see it seems like he's softening a bit. But Moses says, no, we, we have to leave. We can't sacrifice and make sacrifice like we want to because the Egyptians see it. It'll be an abomination to them and they'll, they'll hurt us. So Pharaoh finally says, okay, you can go. And then he says, he tells Moses to plead for him. See, there's a softening. These judgments are softening Pharaoh. But notice in verse 29, it says that Pharaoh should not renege on his word like he's already done. You remember in the last plague when the frogs were there and his magicians couldn't, couldn't do anything to help? He asked Moses pray to God to remove the frogs and he said, okay, I'm going to do it tomorrow and the frogs will be gone and that's what happened. But what did Pharaoh do? Yeah, he, he, he reneged on his word then as well in chapter 8, verse 15. He changes his mind once the consequence has passed. So Moses prays and God moves the flies but verse 32 tells us that Pharaoh did not keep his word. Again, he lies. It's like a you remember the snow we had this past winter? We had a, you know, a snowstorm, a lot of snow. And Pharaoh is, is kind of like the, the roads. The roads are, are covered in, in snow. And then what happens? The, the temperature isn't really, really warm, but the sun comes out. And what does it do? In the, in the noonday sun, it begins to melt away, melt away the snow and ice on the roads. But what happens when the sun goes down? Yeah, instead of snow-packed roads, now you have ice-covered roads. And that's what's happened to Pharaoh. Man, when consequences, when it's like, when times get tough and these judgments are coming upon him, you got frogs everywhere, now you got flies everywhere, he softens up a little bit. But then when the, the, the frogs, and in this instance, the flies are gone, he hardens back up. And now it's worse. He's even harder than it was before. That's what you see happening with Pharaoh. It's like a, a big brother. It was, it was really funny. We have a, a couple of brothers that live in this neighborhood beside us. And one's older by two or three years. And then the younger brother. And the younger brothers, the, the, the older brother, is a, he's a hard worker. You know, I really enjoy being with him. The younger brother... He's a little bit more, uh, it takes more grace to spend time with him, right? And I saw them. I, I pulled out of the parking lot and I, I drove by and I saw those two brothers running across the parking lot. And what I saw is the younger brother running, look, look like for his life, and the older brother's chasing him. And me being a pastor, you think, well, I see, I see what's going on there because I had an older sister, see? And I see, okay, there's the younger brother and he's a little, he's a little mischievous. He's a He's something else, you know. And then I see the older brother, and he's mad, and he's chasing out, he's trying to catch him. And I thought, being the pastor that I am, I need to probably stop and intervene. You know, I ought to just stop and intervene. But then I got to thinking, Shannon, 
that younger brother, I can just imagine what he's done. And whatever he gets from that big brother, he probably deserves. So you know what I did? I drove on home. <laughs> That's what I did. But it's kind of like this with, with, with Pharaoh. You see that the, it's like the older brother and you got this little uh, annoying younger brother who keeps calling him names, you know? And then the, what does the older brother do? The older brother finally gets his his uh, hands on him, and he's got him in a headlock, and he's just working him over, working him over, and squeezing. And he says, "Okay, I'm gonna let you go, but you gotta promise, you gotta give me your word, you're not gonna call me any more names because it's getting on my nerves." And as he's squeezing that noggin of that little little brother, what's the little brother say? Yeah, 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 yeah. I promise, I promise, I promise. He says, "Okay, I'm gonna let you go. No more of this nonsense. Leave me alone." And what does he do? He lets him go. And what's the little brother do? Yeah, it gets away from him a little ways and starts mouthing off again, right? That's what you see here with Pharaoh. He says, yeah, I'm going to let you go and make sacrifices, but then he changes his mind. And so what does God do? Let's look at chapter 9. He sends a fifth plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the fields, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. Here we go again. There's a distinction. So that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day, guess what? The Lord keeps his word, don't he? And the Lord did, just as he said he would do. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And, and Pharaoh sent, meaning he sent some men, some of his servants, to go check it out. Did this really happen? Are the Israelites' cattle still grazing in the field? And behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh, once again, was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So if Pharaoh won't let the people go, what's going to happen? The livestock is going to die. When's that going to take place? Eh, tomorrow. God says tomorrow it's going to happen, and guess what? It happened just as the Lord said. I love the specific times. So you've got this miraculous nature of the plague is seen not only in their degree and intensity, but also in the timing. It's going to happen tomorrow, sure enough. Tomorrow they wake up and... The cattle are dying. It shows that God is sovereign, but also God, unlike Pharaoh, keeps his word. That's something. And he sends out servants to see if what God said would happen actually happened. I mean, think about that. Think about the, this plague, all the cattle dying. You think about the economic, not just cattle, livestock, everything, right, died. Now, there, we're going to see uh, something in chapter 7 where there's still some livestock in the land, small group leaders, and we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But you, can you imagine? I mean, the frogs, remember they piled up all the frogs in heaps? I don't know what they end up doing with it. I'm sure they tried to burn it. But what happens when you have cattle dead? Pretty terrible. And they don't have tractors. Oh, we'll hook up the John Deere and drag that joker off somewhere. No, you just got piles and piles of dead carcasses everywhere. Terrible. Terrible plague. Terrible judgment. But it says Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let them go. So what does God do? 
Look at verse 8 of chapter 9. Here comes the sixth judgment, the sixth plague. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln. Think about the kilns. What were the kilns used for? Do you remember? For baking the bricks that they had to make day in and day out. So take some of the ash from the kilns and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. Verse 9. It shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the on the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not let them did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. There's that, that happens again there, verse 12. As the Lord had spoken to Moses. Everything the Lord said is going to happen, happens. We see that back in chapter 8, verse 15 with the second plague and with the third plague. It ends with, as the Lord has said, it all came to be. It's interesting, this this sixth plague is just like the third plague and just like the ninth plague. There's no, hey, let my people go or else. There's not a warning. There's no warning ahead of time. Hey, you need to let my people go or this is going to happen. Here, the judgment just comes. Throw the dust up, the dust settles, everybody, Pharaoh, the magicians, everybody's got boils. You ever had a boil? I'm thinking like bed sore. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know. It's just a, Terrible sore that festers. And And it's interesting here, it says Moses could stand before Pharaoh, but what happens? Now, they couldn't stand before Moses. You see this plot's thickening and things are changing, aren't they? Attitudes and Moses is becoming more bold and Pharaoh is hardened, but he's suffering, isn't he? Numbers chapter 33, verse 1 through 4, tells us that these judgments against Egypt were also judgments against false gods. Let's read that. These are the stages of the people of Israel, which they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage. This is after the Exodus. They're moving towards the promised land. By command of the Lord, and these are the stages according to their starting places. They set out from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, on the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all Egyptians. If you didn't know, yeah, the Israelites win. God proves himself to be God, and the Israelites are released, right? And they're going towards the promised land. They're leaving triumphantly, right, while the Egyptians were bearing all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. Notice this last, verse 4. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. Now, all this is taking place. The Egyptians are suffering. Pharaoh is suffering. But notice that these gods were judged as well. Think about the snakes. Do you remember the snake that Abraham, I mean, I'm sorry, that Aaron had a staff and he threw down his staff and it became a snake and all the magicians did the same thing. And what did, what did God's snake do? Right? Ingested all the other snakes. And we talked about that. They worshiped snakes. That was one of their gods. The, the Pharaoh had a cobra, 
on his headdress, right? A sign of authority. The Nile was worshipped. Of course, it turns to blood. The frogs, we talked about um, there was a, a goddess, a fertility goddess, and it had a body like a man and a head like a frog. You have the frogs. And they worshipped cows as well. In fact, there was a, a, a temple in Memphis, not Tennessee, right, in Egypt, and they had a, a live bull there that they thought was the incarnation of one of their gods. So maybe not every judgment, possibly so, but you see these false gods are also being judged and shown to be wanting and lacking. And that's what God's doing, right? Proving himself, showing himself to be the one true living God. So what do we do by way of application here? We see the, the wicked Pharaoh being judged. And, and Psalm 1.5 tells us that the wicked will not stand in judgment. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. New Testament writer. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So we have warnings. The wicked will not stand in judgment. We see that with Pharaoh. He will fall. He will fail. He will bow the knee. Those who have a rebellious, hard heart will not stand in judgment. They will be judged. So let's make sure we don't have an unbelieving, hard heart. Don't turn away from God. Yield to him. Submit to him. Obey him. He is worthy of our obedience. He is the omnipotent, just, merciful God who should be followed. So that's number one. The second thing is we see over and over again, let my people go so they can serve me is what God's saying to Pharaoh. He wants them to be set free so they can dwell with him again. We're going to get to the Mount Sinai and the, the, the building of the tabernacle. He wants his people to dwell with him and he wants to dwell with his people. Why are they released? Why should they be released? So they can serve and worship him. We are saved and redeemed church to worship and to serve him. Are we serving him as we should? And lastly, by way of application, God judges hard-hearted people. But he's also merciful, isn't he? For those of us who belong to the church, meaning those of us who've repented of our sin and trusted Christ's work on the cross as our own, he has been merciful to us. Like the Israelites, why was he merciful to them? Was it because they're great in number? Was it because they're obedient? Because they're faithful? No. He was merciful to them because he wanted to be merciful to them. Because he had chosen them. He had, he had affection for them. Why? Because he had affection for them. To display his mercy and grace. And are we not the same, church? 
Why are you here? Why are you, why are you at church on July 4th? Well, I want to be here. Why are you here? Yeah, you want to be here because the Lord's done a work in your life. You think about all the folks that you know, that you work with, live with, live beside. They wouldn't be here if you paid them. But you're here, and you're worshiping, and you not only worship, but you, you love to worship. You want to be here because of the work that God has done in your life. That has nothing to do with you. Sammy, has, you're a good kid, brother, but you being here, God choosing you, electing you, saving you has nothing to do with you, brother. It's all of the Lord. Say the same thing about Israel. Why? Because God. Why are we here? Brother Ronald, why are you here, man? Why do you have a testimony? You're fixing to take the Lord's Supper. Why? Why are you able to take the Lord's Supper? It isn't it because of us. It's because of God and the work he's done in us. So today's a good day to take the Lord's Supper. We who are redeemed, the church, can remember all that God has done for us, recognizing it's his work, not ours.